0: The scripture for this evening's sermon is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. 1 Corinthians 1, 4 through 9. The title of the message tonight is, Good News for a Flawed Church. Paul wrote 1 Corinthians to a church that had a lot of issues. In fact, Paul spends pretty much the whole letter trying to fix their issues. Between divisions in the church, the, the members suing one another, abusing spiritual gifts and abusing the Lord's Supper, tolerating gross immorality, between all of that, Corinthians was a pretty messed up church. And yet, Paul begins his letter to them on a positive note. There is some good news for this flawed church. 1 Corinthians 1, 4-9. Please stand for the reading of God's holy word I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus that in everything you were enriched in him in all word and all knowledge even as the witness about Christ was confirmed in you so that you are not lacking in any gift, eagerly awaiting the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end beyond reproach in the day of our Lord Jesus. God is faithful, through whom you were called into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Please be seated. There was an Alaskan man who recently tried to cross a channel near Juneau, Alaska. He was doing it on a homemade watercraft. Let let me be a little more specific. He was doing it with an inflatable boat that he made from duct tape. Complete with his paddle, his dog, and no life jacket. Um, A local news outlet said that uh, the weather was calm, only a nine-mile-an-hour wind, But the Coast Guard still had to end up going to rescue the man because his makeshift boat started taking on water. And uh, they deemed the watercraft unsafe, so the Coast Guard took the boat, the man, and his dog on board and took him to a nearby harbor. I want you to think about it. A boat made from duct tape. No life jacket. On the open sea. With nothing but a paddle. There seem to be a lot of flaws in this guy's plan. And we may look at this guy and think, you know, he never stood a chance. He never had a chance to succeed. But if you stop and look at the church, we have some flaws of our own, don't we? We are not without shortcomings. Are we? What makes us think we can succeed in our mission? Well, first let's identify what success is for the church. Success for the church is doing the work God has given us to do and remaining faithful to Jesus until he comes. That's really simple as that. Or as difficult as that, however you want to look at it. Doing the work God has given us to do and remaining faithful to Jesus till he comes. But, in light of our flaws, in light of our shortcomings, how can we hope to pull that off? Well, we can succeed. And these verses tell us how. In spite of the Corinthian church's many flaws and shortcomings, in the verses we read, Paul's giving thanks for them. But keep in mind... Paul's not giving thanks for who they were in and of themselves. No, 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 no. He's giving thanks for what God had done and was doing in them and through them because of their relationship with Jesus. Listen, there is no such thing as a church that's not flawed. This church can succeed In spite of whatever flaws and shortcomings we had. For the very same reason that Paul gave thanks for the Corinthians church. It's not who we are in and of ourselves that enables us to succeed. It's what God has done and is doing in and through us because of Jesus. Because of our relationship with Him. Here's the message I want you to hear tonight. The grace... And faithfulness of God enables a flawed church to succeed. The grace and faithfulness of God enables a flawed church to succeed. This text gives us two reasons why a flawed church can indeed succeed. Here's the first reason. We have been equipped by God's grace. In other words, God's grace has given us all that we need to do what He has put us here to do. In verse 4, Paul gives thanks for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus. Now, God's grace is simply His undeserved kindness. It includes all the good things that God does for us that we don't deserve. Paul says God's grace was given to us in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? To be in Christ Jesus means to be spiritually joined to Jesus. You see, when a person is born again, he is spiritually united to Christ. He has a a personal spiritual relationship with Jesus. That's what it means to be in Christ. To have that Personal, spiritual union with Jesus. So what he's telling us here in verse 4 is this. God's grace, God's undeserved kindness has been given to us because of Jesus. Because of our connection spiritually to Jesus. God's kindness to us is not because of who we are or what we've done. It's because of who Jesus is and what He's done. Now, in verse 5, Paul talks about one of the specific ways the Corinthian church had experienced God's grace. Look at what it says. In everything, you were enriched in Him, in Christ, in all word and in all knowledge. Because of our relationship with Christ, based on Christ's merit, not our own, God has enriched us in everything. To be enriched means to be given an abundance of resources. Now, we need to acknowledge he's not talking about being enriched monetarily. Look back at verse 5. You are enriched in all word and knowledge. These are spiritual gifts. Word refers to any act of speaking that builds up the church. Specifically, speaking God's word. Teaching it, preaching it, using it to encourage others. Knowledge refers to a knowledge of the truth. It refers to a knowledge of spiritual reality. So this is what he's saying. God in His grace has given the church the ability to preach, teach, and understand the Scripture. In other words, because of God's grace, we have access to the wisdom and insight and discernment of God that is in His Word. Now, look at verse 6. Even as the witness about Christ was confirmed in you. What is the witness about Christ? He's, Paul's referring to his own preaching. His own preaching was a witness. It was a testimony about Jesus and the gospel. So, as Paul is preaching about who Jesus is and what he has done, the Corinthians come to believe. And God gives them his spirit. How do we know God has given them his spirit? It was evident by the presence of spiritual gifts in the body. You see, the people began to be able to, to use certain spiritual gifts. And the fact that they were gifted with these spiritual gifts was evidence that they had come to believe and had received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, two such gifts were those mentioned in verse 5, word and knowledge. So here's what he's saying is, you were enriched in all things spiritually, in word and all knowledge. And it happened when you received the gospel. God in His grace has given the church spiritual gifts. They received them as they received the gospel. Now, Paul preached the gospel of Jesus to the Corinthians. They believed and were given the Holy Spirit, which was evident by their spiritual gifts operating in the church, word and knowledge, the ability to speak God's word, the ability to understand God's word. But those weren't the only two gifts that God gave his church. Look at verse 7. So that you are not lacking in any gift I preached the gospel to you. You believed it. That was confirmed because you had spiritual gifts. The result of you receiving the gospel, being given the Spirit, is you don't lack any gift. Spiritual gift. What are spiritual gifts? Here's an important scripture to understand. uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 7. Here's what 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for what is profitable. Each believer is given a manifestation of the the Spirit of God. In other words, there's a specific way that the Spirit of God in you enables you to do things that benefit the church. Let me say it to you like this. Every born-again believer is enabled by the Holy Spirit To do something to benefit the church and enable the church to achieve her mission. Some have the gifts to preach or teach. Some have the gifts to serve and help. Some have the gifts to encourage and show mercy. Some have gifts for administration that allow them to work in the administration of the church. Some have the gift of intercession. They they just have a God-given gift and ability to pray on behalf of other people. Some people have the gift of giving, the gift of generosity. God has given them the means financially and the willingness to give. Now here's the thing. No one has all the gifts... But between all of us, we're not lacking any gift. That means God has given us as a church all that we need to do what He's put us here to do. None of us can do it by ourselves. But between all of us, God has equipped us by His grace to do what He's put us here to do. And here's the thing that we cannot forget. The spiritual gifts... Are called gifts for a reason. They are expressions of God's undeserved kindness. You understand? They're gifts of grace. 1 Peter 4:10. As each one has received a gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You've been given a gift. It is a way of expressing God's grace to others by serving them. They're gifts of grace. Here's the point we have everything we need to do what God's called us to do. He's fully equipped us. Not because of who we are or what we've done, it's an act of His grace given to us in Jesus. Before my dad was disabled, he was a craftsman, made things out of wood make anything. Some of the most beautiful cabinets you've ever seen. If you've ever been in Brad and Wanda Nace's house, you've seen my daddy's work. He built their whole kitchen. Fireplace mantles, bed headboards, entertainment, you name it, he can make anything out of wood. Well, believe it or not, over the years, I've built quite a few kitchens for people. I've built kitchens for a number of people over the years. I just go to my dad's shop and with his tools and a little bit of his know-how, I can do a pretty good job. But here's the thing. All of the knowledge that I use was his. See, everything I learned, I learned from him. And all of the tools were his. I, I could build a decent set of cabinets, but not without him. You following me? Church, we have all the tools we need to do the job God has given us. But it's only because of our Father. Right? By His grace. He's given us the tools to do the job. Yes, we have flaws. Absolutely. Yes, we have shortcomings. Absolutely. We look at ourselves and what we see is what we don't have. Right? We don't have this. We don't have that. We don't have this. We look at our church and we see what we can't do. Hear the word of God. God's grace has given us all the resources we need to do what he expects us to do. We don't lack anything we need to do what God intends for us to do. His grace has fully equipped us with all the abilities that we need. So what if our church resources and abilities are limited We aren't dependent on our resources and abilities. We're dependent on God's resources and abilities. And how many of you know his resources and abilities are not limited? We're dependent on his grace and the resources his grace provides. Between all of us, we have all the spiritual gifts we need to do the work of the church. Each one of you is gifted given some ability to serve the church in some way. You may say, I, I'm not gifted. I don't have a gift to serve. God's Word says you are. Who you think's right. You are the Scripture. God says if you are saved and you have the Spirit of God, God said the Spirit of God in you has enabled you to serve the church in some way. Here's the thing, though. You've got to be willing to use the gifts and abilities you have. You have to be willing to do what God has enabled you to do. And I know some of you are going to think, well, you know, there was a time, but I'm too old now. Moses didn't even begin his work for the Lord until he was 80. You're not too old to serve. Let me ask you a couple of questions. Are you too old to read children a Bible story? Are you too old to comfort someone who is sick or suffering? Are you too old to take someone a meal? Are you too old to send someone a card, a word of encouragement? Are you too old to pray for your pastor? Look, no matter who you are, There are innumerable ways you can serve and help the church achieve our mission. God will make you able. The only question is if you're willing. No one among us can do everything, but all of us can do something. Yeah, we are a flawed church, but so is every other church. And in spite of that, we can succeed in our mission because we have been equipped by God's grace. But that's not all. Even a flawed church can succeed for a second reason. Here it is. We will be kept by God's faithfulness. We can succeed because we will be kept by God's faithfulness. I said to begin with that success for the church involves doing the work God has given us to do and remaining faithful to Christ until He comes. Now, we've already seen that God's grace enables us to do the work He's given us to do. What I want to show you now is that God's faithfulness ensures we will remain faithful to Christ. Look at the end of verse 7. Paul speaks about eagerly awaiting the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is referring to the event we would normally call the second coming. This is the day the trumpet's going to sound and Christ will come in the clouds of heaven. This is the day when every eye shall see His glorious majesty. This is the day when He will appear with the hosts of heaven and rid the earth of all wickedness and evil. This is the day when we will be called up to meet Him in the air. This is the day we will be fully and finally transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus. This is the day all creation will be made new. This is the day believers are eagerly waiting for. Philippians 3, verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the day we're waiting for. But to experience the joy of that day, we must remain faithful till that day. But here's the question. How can a flawed church, how can a church full of sinners remain faithful? Verse 8. He's speaking of God and he says, Who will also confirm you to the end. Beyond reproach in the day of our Lord Jesus. God will confirm you to the end the end the end he's referring to is the event he's just mentioned the revelation of Jesus the second coming the day Jesus comes back and he says god will confirm you until that day uh, the word confirm could be translated firmly established god will firmly establish you until the day christ returns In other words, God will keep you in the faith. He will keep you faithful to Jesus until the day Jesus comes to reign forever. Now notice what else it says. Not only will God keep you to the end, He will keep you beyond reproach in the day of our Lord Jesus. The day of our Lord Jesus is just another way to refer to the same event, the day Christ comes to reign. But what does it mean to be kept beyond reproach? To be kept beyond reproach means that on the day Christ returns and we have to stand before God in the courtroom of heaven, we will be declared not guilty. Free and clear of all sin. Here's the idea. God's keeping power will keep us faithful to Jesus until the day of the end. And because we arrive at the final day, having remained faithful to Jesus... When we stand before Him, we will be washed in the blood of His Son. We will stand as sinners who've been cleansed and clean and justified in the sight of God. And we will be beyond reproach. God will keep you and I firmly trusting Jesus until the day Jesus returns. As a result, we're going to arrive at the courtroom of God having our sins washed in the blood of Jesus. Now the key to all this in verse 9... God is faithful. God is faithful. Here's the reality. Left to ourselves, we would never remain faithful to the end. Left to yourself, you wouldn't remain faithful for 15 minutes. How do we remain faithful? Because God is faithful. God is reliable, trustworthy, dependable. Now look at the rest of the verse because it's the key to really understanding what he's saying. God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And what's all that about? First notice it says God called to you. Now, God's call is the act of Him bringing you to faith in Jesus. It's not just His invitation. He's calling you, inviting you. You God's call is Him actually joining you, uniting you to Christ by faith. Second, notice you were called into fellowship with His Son. Here's the idea. When God saved us, He united us to Christ in such a way that we now share in the Sonship of Jesus. We as God's people share in the life of His Son. Let me explain to you what I mean. Just as Christ lives eternally in perfect communion with the Father, so you and I, because of Jesus, we also live eternally In perfect communion with the Father. Just as Christ is an heir. To the kingdom of God. So too because of Jesus. We are joint heirs. With Christ. Let me say it this way. When God saved us. He united us to Christ. Eternally and inseparably to his son. And he did it in such a way that the life of Christ becomes our life. Now, that's beyond my ability to fully fully explain. But we're not just united to Christ in this relationship. We become become united to him in such a way that his life is our life. Now, follow the thought here. Don't, Don't miss this. God saved you and I in order to eternally unite us to His Son so closely that the life of His Son is our life. You with me? Okay. So when Paul says God is faithful, he's assuring us that God will do what He said He'll do. Now here it is. You ready? Here it is. If God's intention was to unite you and I eternally and inseparably to his Son. He will most certainly unite us eternally and inseparably to his Son. What does that mean? Eternally, inseparably. That's what Paul means when he says he will confirm you to the end. He will keep you faithful to the end. How do we know God's going to keep us faithful to the end? Because His eternal purpose is that we be permanently, inseparably united to His Son. If we somehow could lose that relationship, then God's purpose wouldn't be fulfilled. Do you understand what I'm telling you? God's purpose is to join us eternally, inseparably to his son in such a way that we share the very life of his son. An unbreakable bond. And how do we know God's going to do that? Because God is faithful. Do you understand what I mean when I say we are kept by his faithfulness? John Calvin described God's faithfulness this way. Whatever God begins, He will carry through to completion. Isn't that what the Scripture says? Philippians 1.6, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus, Till the day Jesus returns. He's going to finish what He started. In spite of our flaws, in spite of our shortcomings, we will endure to the end. No, not because of our own strength, but because of the faithfulness of God. Think about this. How did the Israelites ever survive 40 years in the desert to reach the promised land? God, that's how. When they didn't have water, God brought forth water from the rock. When they didn't have bread, God rained down manna from heaven. And he did it every single day until the day they crossed into the promised land. He led them by a cloud in the daytime and a pillar of fire by night. The Scripture says their clothes and shoes never even wore out 40 years. I can't keep a pair of shoes two years. Was it because of Israel's faithfulness and obedience? No. They grumbled and complained the whole time and were disobedient often. But here's the thing. Israel made it to the promised land because God is faithful. God made a promise to Abraham that his descendants would inherit the land of Canaan. And in spite of Israel's unfaithfulness and rebellion, God got them there. Why? Because he is faithful to his word. And that means you and I will make it. In spite of our flaws and shortcomings, God will get us there. Why? Because he is faithful. Now, I need to make sure you don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying because God is faithful, you can live any way you want to, and you'll still get to heaven. The Bible teaches that those who are truly born again will persevere to the end. That means those who are truly saved will remain faithful to Jesus until, they end, uh, until the end. Either they die or Jesus returns. Now, that doesn't mean they'll remain perfect. It just means they'll remain faithful. What Paul is telling us in verses 8 and 9 is that it is God's faithfulness that keeps us faithful. It is because God is faithful to His promise that He is enabling us to remain faithful. On our own, you and I would abandon the faith with the first sign of hardship. And many people have done that. They have walked away from Christianity the first time it got difficult never were saved to begin with. But for those of us who are truly in Christ, God will keep us in Christ. Let me say it to you this way. God's faithfulness to His purpose ensures our faithfulness to His Son. God's faithfulness to His purpose ensures that we will remain faithful to His Son. The promised land may seem like a long way off, doesn't it? You may look at us and wonder, how in the world will we ever make it? How will we stay faithful to the Lord in such a broken world? How will flawed people like we are resist all the devil's attempts to lead us into sin and lead us away from Jesus? How, how can we persist And swimming against the tide in a sinful society. Because the same God who saved us by his grace will keep us by his faithfulness. How can a flawed church ever succeed in doing the work God has given us to do? Remaining faithful to Jesus to the end? The grace and faithfulness of God enables a flawed church to succeed. Now, that truth eliminates any reason for pride on the one hand and any reason for despair on the other hand. We have no reason for pride because it's only by God's grace and faithfulness that we have what it takes to succeed. No reason for us to be proud. But on the other hand, we also have no reason for despair because by God's grace and faithfulness, we do have what we need to succeed. But that doesn't mean we can sit back and do nothing. God's grace has given us the gifts that we need to do His work, but we still have to exercise those gifts. We still have to do the work. God has enabled us to do the work, but we still have to do it. God's faithfulness will enable us to remain faithful. But God doesn't do that apart from our own effort. God keeps us faithful in and through our own efforts to remain faithful. You understand? God, We don't just sit back and do nothing. No, God enables us to remain faithful to Jesus through our own efforts. He empowers us. We're involved in the process. When I say the grace and faithfulness of God will enable us to succeed, that's not intended as an excuse to do nothing. It's intended as the motivation to do something. You understand the difference? It's intended to motivate you to do something. In just a few weeks, we're going to begin a new year. What if... What if this new year we gave the Lord and his church our absolute best? Our time, our energy, our resources, our gifts, our abilities. What if we gave him the best we have? And we can do it with the knowledge that by his grace and faithfulness we will succeed. Let's pray.